Hello and welcome to Composer Chat, a podcast where we talk a little about music, a little about life, and a whole lot about whatever nonsense happens to come up otherwise. I'm your host, Jason Nitch, and each week I am joined by one of my favorite composers out there in the world. It's my show, so that's why it's my favorite composers who get the invites, and you're just going to have to live with that. Stick around, we're going to do a deep dive with some of the most creative people in the world. You're listening to Composer Chat. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Composer Chat. I'm your host, Jason Nitch. Yes, I'm a composer and I'm here every week, but each week I'm joined by a guest composer of my own selection, and we'll spend the next little bit talking about them with frequent interruption by me. Um, I am super excited about this week's guest. Uh, so uh, everybody, welcome to the show, composer Anne McGinty. Good morning. Good morning. So. Yeah, it's it's going to be great fun. So um, so so composer of your stature, what's the protocol? Do we call you uh, like like Maestro McGinty? Do we call you Master McGinty? What's the um, what's the right? Uh... Anne. Oh, Anne. I love that. That's great. That's great, too. <laughs> well, I, look, I, I, did, I didn't even use the C for composer word until about it was sometime in the late 20 teens oh wow. it was it was after 2008 i know that and um i was dealing with some los angeles people and they used it and i was like oh well, i don't think so i just write music <laughs> and, and i've always said that and i see these young ones going oh i'm this wonderful composer and you should buy 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 and i'm going oh i'm in and i already did that <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. Well, this is normally the part of the show where I would would invite my guests to, I'd say, you know, for people that may not be familiar with you or familiar with your music, give us the 30 second like breakdown. We're not doing that with you because I'm just going to say for listening to the podcast and you don't know who Anne McGinty is, what you need to do is turn the podcast off, <laughs> go, go out into the world and figure your life out and then come back when you're ready because you don't deserve to listen to the interview if you don't know who Anne McGinty is. So we're skipping that completely. And okay. we're going to go, we're going to go straight on into the rest of it. So, so, Anne, um, and, and I will say too, we will talk a little bit later about you and I connected a couple of years ago um, in a very cool way. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, can you talk about kind of what your like sort of music origin story is? Like, how did you first get involved in music in general? I was a flute player and um by the time I got to high school, we had the most incredible high school band. Um, we always played in tune. And later, when I was in my 40s, I think, I asked, I would go back to my hometown to see my parents, and I would go out to lunch with the band director. And I, how did you do that? And he said, ha, you know, just kind of laughed. <laughs> but I never figured out how he did it. But we always, a bunch of high school kids in a small town, Ohio, and we played in tune, and we played good stuff. And so anyway, I knew I wanted to be in music and my that was my escape. And when I was about 16 or so, who knows, um, <laughs> if it's not related to a copyright, I have no idea what year it was. OK, um, yes. Yes. I OK. I, I feel that. Yes. Uh, but I was befriended by Don McGinnis, who was. Ooh. Yeah, the band director at right. the Ohio State University. And um, he encouraged me and gave me the kind of 
pseudo parental support that I didn't have from my non-musical parents. Sure. And I ended up going to Ohio State for a year and I made his band, the top band, and he was my flute teacher. And we, re we remained friends until he could no longer speak, which was, he just died a few years ago. Right. And um, I, at Ohio State, I didn't know who I was or what I wanted to do. I had not a clue. And I was, you know, taking all the music courses and I was also in an advanced calculus class with a bunch of engineering students. And I'm going, well, this isn't what I want to do, okay? <laughs> and, and so I didn't know what to do, so I quit. And um, I heard all these terrible things. If you drop out of college, you're doomed and such. Anyway, I wasn't doomed. And I ended up in Tucson a few years later and auditioning for the symphony because I was a 20 some year old. Why not? You know? Yeah, sure. And they, they called me and said, well, I'm sorry. We really like your playing, but we just signed contracts. And so I went mm -hmm. to work in a grocery store, checking, checking people out. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that. It was great. It was not one of the big box things. It was just a rural thing for ranchers and cowboys and stuff so anyway nice. uh, the next year the symphony called me and said we have a new conductor we would like you to audition and I'm going holy crap you know <laughs> <laughs> let's get some chops here fast right I went to the audition and I made principal I was literally under 25 I don't know how old I was wow um the first concert was Daphne's you don't walk in and play that thing the first time. The, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I still get, I, I hear, if I hear it on the car radio or something, I just, my whole body gets chills. And, sure, and yeah. There are a lot of notes after that solo. Um, and uh, then I ended up, I'll skip some parts here, ended up in Pittsburgh. Um, I had to have um, knee surgery on both knees. And it was before arthroscopic surgery. So they had to do it the old fashioned way, just cut you open. And oh, yeah. um, when I, I, I knew Bernie Goldberg, who was principal in Pittsburgh. And he said, well, you can walk, walk, walk up my front steps and come take lessons. And I went, okay. So I did. And he said, why don't you go back to school? And I did. And I got my bachelor's and master's and was going to be a flute teacher. Because I knew that my body was not geared for symphonic work. My nervous system would just have been shot by the 30. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm really good at subbing, but I don't want I don't want the job. Thank you. And so I was going to go teach and in a wonderful place in Pennsylvania. And it was a bad year, and the governor put a freeze on all state hiring, and I was out of a job. So off I went to Where'd I go? Evanston, Illinois. And okay. a friend I had met through the NFA I had been on the board of directors. Just another why, why so young? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, and she was leaving uh, Milwaukee area and she gave me her flute studio, gave it to me. Two wow. days two days worth of students. And I was friendly with Wally Kujala, who was um, piccolo player in Chicago Symphony and top mm -hmm. flute at Northwestern, and Don Peck, who was principal flute in Chicago. And they would refer 
teaching gigs, uh, adjudicating, all kinds of stuff to keep me afloat. And I was a clinician for Armstrong Flute Company. Um, gosh. And then I ended up going to Miami, Florida, and um, was a liaison between Armstrong Publishing Company and uh, Hanson Publications. And they were going to take over the Armstrong flute catalog and then add some stuff. And so I wrote a couple of flute choirs and just kind of did stuff. <laughs> and then I got fired because, <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't know, I didn't have a clue how to put together a Mother's Day folio. Oh. Now, would you buy a book of sappy, I don't know, songs for Mother's Day tribute? I don't think it's a big market, but that was the reason, <laughs> which is funny to this day. I but, don't think I would buy one, but I think for the right price, I would write one. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, know if one, I would know how either. This was collecting stuff he already owned the copyright on and assembling it into a book. But all of his books were like 57 pieces. And you, I'm sorry, I don't think there are 57 Happy Mother's Day pieces. Um, anyway, so there I was unemployed for the first time ever. And, <laughs> and I decided to write a piece for solo flute and band. If this is that what everybody does when they're unemployed. Uh, yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And I wrote, well, see, I was a flute player. So shamanads in D and bands just don't sound very good in D. No, so, not many of them. Uh, yes. So I wanted to write something where the flute sounded good and the band sounded good. And I wrote variations and theme. And I wrote all the variations first because I was intimidated by concerts that had theme and variations because I would lose track of the theme by the time we got to the whatever variation. So I just wrote the <laughs> variations first so you didn't have any idea what the theme was and take all the pressure off. I love that. And it sold really well. And I moved, we then we ended up in Wisconsin. Um, I had married John Edmondson by then. Uh -huh. Okay, we were in Wisconsin for 15 months um, of snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And from Miami, Florida, hello. So this, this is a little different. And I... I went to Hal Leonard, which was just basically within a mile of my house, and I wanted a job. And they said, bring all the stuff you did at Hanson. So I did. And they didn't offer me a job. They offered me, um, they wanted me to write a flute quartet on spec. Mm -hmm. So I come home and wrote, wrote a flute quartet, and they really liked it. And we recorded it one track at a time in their little studio. Yep. And then they wanted two more, and I did that. And then somehow there was this piece that John was writing, and he wanted, to, it was beautiful. He wanted to score it for flute trio and band. And I just kind of gagged. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> flute, trio, flute, flute trio is thirds and sixths and stuff. And it will get really, really sweet after a while, sugary. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so so <laughs> while he was at work, I wrote it for band. <laughs> and he came home one day and I said, I have a band piece based on that piece you left on the piano. And 
Hal Leonard picked it up and published it. And it was my very first band piece, because you can't count flute and band, I don't think. Oh, and oh, nice. it, it made Ohio Class C required. Wow. And at that point, uh, there was a lot of, what, first piece on, you know. <laughs> but um, I just went with it, and they thought I could write. And I'm so, <laughs> so I, I just kept doing it. <laughs> I think um, the same thing every time I, I get something published. I think, ah, fooled them again. Well, I like, yeah, I just really kept on doing it. And when I first started, um, I had I had bravado, but not a lot of uh, confidence. Okay. I mean, I wasn't sure I knew what I needed to know, but gosh, it sounded good. So apparently I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think you knew what other people needed to know. Um, it, well, it worked. And I wanted kids to sound good. And I wanted them to stay in the program. Yeah. Um, I wanted them eventually, as my my thoughts progressed over the years, I wanted them to think all these creative thoughts and share them with a band director so it wasn't a hierarchical thing where the band director said it has to be this way. Sure. So I went from, oh, I learned stuff along the way. Do not give use a title that no one can pronounce oh yeah if, because they won't buy it um and don't name it after something that can blow up oh and, really <laughs> well my my second piece with hell letter was songs of israel and as soon as that piece came out israel went to war Oh, okay. It's one of their seven years or three years, however many years. And one nobody, of the years ones. Okay, nobody's going to ever play that. So nothing with uh, with countries and nothing with maybe, I don't know, like active volcanoes or uh, things can, like that. You can, like You can do countries. When I started doing all the the arrangements for with Queenwood, our company, yeah. um, there was one year where everybody was at everybody's throat um, mm. worldwide. Yeah battle here battle there war baby and i talked to my friend who brian burton who was the music musicology music he traveled all over he was bartok he traveled all over the world recording native people doing their thing okay yeah and i contacted him and i said i need somebody that's not at war and he said, I have the perfect country for you. It's Iceland. Oh, there because you go. When Reagan went there back whenever Reagan was in office, um, the band refused to play patriotic or marches, and they gr greeted him with show tunes, which I think is a cool story. That's fantastic. So. Well, that sort of fits with Reagan, too. He was at least an actor. Like, that's so so I just I just kept doing it. Uh, I published with Barnhouse and Boozy and Hawks and Southern and well, Hal Leonard and Kendor and oh, everybody. I eventually won with Chose. Yeah. Uh, so and then it was time to start our own, and we had this wonderful idea which became Queenwood, and we pitched it to Hal Leonard, and they said, "Oh no, we don't want more of what you're doing. We, you know." Oh yeah, like, right. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, I, I, Boosty and Hawks paid me for years to be a consultant and never once took took my advice. That's never. the best kind of consulting job to have. Yes, you get yeah. the check, but you don't have to 
be responsible for it. And so we figured out how to start our own and we did, and it was hugely successful. And yeah, for sure. And as, as we progressed, um, I started writing. Okay. There was a phone call one day from a band director in upstate New York. And he, I, I almost always answered the phone because John had hearing loss in both ears. Okay. And he's my little Beethoven. And, uh, (laughs) The band director introduced himself and said where he was and asked what happened to the fox. And I'm going, what fox? Wow. And he goes, the fox in Foxwood. And I'd written a beginning band piece called Foxwood Overture. And his band had made up a story for all the different parts of it, three part. Um, and they wanted to know what happened to the fox. That's great. Well, it is great, except that I started uh, doing better titles, and I'm doing <laughs> red, red balloon, and stars, and right. and uh, butterflies, and yeah, yeah, that will encourage that kind of imagination in in their playing and in their communication. So, and I think the whole thing just culminated two thousand. I'd have to turn around and look on the wall um, when I was commissioned to write for the United States Army Band. Yeah, and I remember that, that. That was just like the coolest thing in the whole world. And I got to conduct it twice with them. And then I did one for West Point, the Bicentennial. Mm-hmm. And then I did one for what was then the Continental Army Band, which is now Tradoc Band. Mm-hmm. And so the whole Army experience was really cool. Yeah. And I just kept doing it until I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> but people don't know I stopped, so let's not tell them. <laughs> we can edit that part out. We just say you're on a pause. Uh, no, I, I, there was a point where, okay, I'm going to backtrack. Back in the 80s, um, there were people going around, very influential people going around saying there's no good music being written for beginners and young bands. And I was off on the circuit too. And I would follow up this person's clinics by saying, if there aren't any good, isn't any good band music being written, then there won't be any people in your wind ensemble. Yeah, true. And he didn't understand that. He never did understand that. And while we're explaining explaining things, why do all these people belong to the CBDNA and refuse to call themselves BDs? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Anyway, um, <laughs> there was some, just a time where where all begin, beginning band music or even grade one and two was called cookie cutter, and oh. there were long articles in the instrumentalists and whatnot about cookie cutter, cookie cutter, and we're going. We're not writing the same piece over and over and over. Why don't you look at what we're actually doing? Right. And so by the time we got into the 2000s, there were people, young people, that were going in different directions that were going to carry it forward. And all of the old, talented, but old white guys (laughs) um, were no longer with us. We didn't have John Kenyon and and or John Edmondson or all these people. They were just okay. Right. So we had a whole new group, and band music was really taking off. Yeah, 
And the only thing that the young ones are doing now that is probably detrimental to their financial status is they're all writing grade three and four and five. Yes. And the band the band world is a pyramid. And yeah. at the top is the the service bands, the marine band, wind oh, maybe you know, Eastman and a few of those wind ensembles. And as you go down, you got a high school or college and then high school, you get to the very fat part of the pyramid, it's beginners and first, second, third year students. Yeah. And that's that's who need your help, and that's who you need to write for, and that's where you make the money. Yeah, and and I will say too, from my from my own perspective, that that also is, I think, the most difficult grade level to write for, and really write something compelling and interesting. And and I'm not good at it. There are people that are good at it, but I'm so I appreciative. Loved of, I loved uh, it. Yeah. Just loved it. I mean, because... when you get a get a piece at that level that really you know resonates, like that's really special because it just doesn't happen. It's not it's not simple. It's very complicated and it's difficult. Well, I never started out thinking water something down. Yeah. Every score I ever started, I started with the score I was writing. So if I was writing something hard and it had the four horns and the this and the that, uh, that's one score. Uh, so I writing beginning band, theoretically, our baseline was optional. So you had to make it sound good before. In, just in case they didn't have one. And right. there were a lot of bands that didn't have any bass instruments. Yeah. Any, I mean, trombone or anything. Right. So, um, but it was fun because it was challenging. And we set up guidelines as to what we could do. And of course, I broke them in the first piece, but. Oh, yeah, um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we did have guidelines. And, uh, we both approached it that way. It was just, if we're writing a beginning band, we wrote a beginning band. They got a little too hard at the end, but um, something to strive for. Yeah, sure. Wow, that's that's really amazing to hear to hear about all of that. And 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 I was one of those kids that you know that benefited from that. I remember um, I remember playing Atlantis when I was in middle school, and everybody loved it. And I was a percussionist. Everybody was like, everybody wanted to play that snare drum part in Atlantis. And we all now, learned you, it. We could all you, play that snare drum part. If you do that wrong, it sounds like you're back there building a house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Atlantis was, okay. And the next, the next thing, that my words of wisdom, the composer doesn't have any idea what's what the market's going to want. Oh, absolutely. And you may love this piece beyond anything you have okay they don't like him but it was atlantis which to me okay it was the time of la law and yeah uh, hill street blues right and mike post wrote the music yep and he wrote simple triads over a baseline that was a fifth away yeah and I went ah i could do that with band it's polychord time and right. that's that's what atlantis was and then you have him build the house in the back <laughs> and it, it was supposed to just like die like the continent. Yeah. And I doing a, a, a either a TBA or TMEA and Eddie Green was was um, kind of hosting it. And uh, somebody asked me about that. And I said, it was really supposed to sink. It's a lost continent. Just let right. it go. Yeah. And they went, oh, but my kids love it. And now it's now today, like now it's a hit in Australia. 
I have made more money off of that piece. It's been just before 85. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one that was a big, big soup, I mean, we're thousands and thousands of copies, um, a Seasong trilogy. Oh, yeah. I believe that. Yeah. Lucy Cox, yeah. And um, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> if, it, if it works for you, if it's doing something that your kids need, yeah, go for it. Yeah. My opinion doesn't mean squat. <laughs> it doesn't. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm surprised also a lot of times when, it, and I got to see it. I was a band director for 23 years. I got to see it on that side and I got to see it on the composer side. And I was always surprised both ways. Sometimes what pieces resonated with people, both mm-hmm. people, both colleagues on the band director side that would, that would really like love these pieces and they would play them to death. And I, and I, I just wouldn't see it. And then pieces of mine that I thought, this is going to be great. Everybody is going to love this. And no one cared. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I get that, but oh yeah, I know Atlantis. That's a classic. I mean, they're going to play that for years. What is that? It's 40 years now, I guess at some point since mid eighties. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, isn't it crazy? But I mean, like, I, I am not surprised at all when I go to a band contest and I hear somebody playing that. I mean, it it it's still it's still uh it still resonates today. It still hits, which I think is just a testament to what a great what a great piece it was. Um well, thank you, Mike Hill. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, um let's talk for a little bit about um about how I connected with you a couple of years ago. Uh, we didn't talk beforehand about how we were going to tell this story. I don't, maybe I should, I, I'll, I'll, I'll start and then you can uh, correct oh, me. Just, just go for it. <laughs> so, so when my first year being a band director, I played, I played your arrangement of, of all the pretty little horses, which I already, before we got on, I showed you, I've got the score right here because <laughs> I just unpacked, I just unpacked it because I'm in the middle of moving. Um, and, um, and I just, I, I heard it and I loved it. And I was like, ah, this is way too hard for my band to play, but we're going to play it anyway. I was teaching a third middle school band, really, really super sweet kids. They loved it. They did great. They played it great. But um, all those years ago, so like I've always really had a special place uh, in my heart for that, for that piece and for that tune. And I don't know, what was it? Was it maybe three years ago, three or four years ago? I, I, I got a wild hair. It was during the pandemic. So it was a pandemic um composition i i decided i was going to do an arrangement of it um and um and so i did it and like everything else i don't know if anything i do is good i listen to it and go well okay i'll see what people think and i remember i thought i gotta send this to to ann because the only reason i i would never have done this if i hadn't if i hadn't played played that piece so many years ago and um and really loved it it's like an earworm stuck with me. And uh, so anyway, I wrote it, I sent it to you with the terrible computer sounds and you were so nice um, and listened to it. And um, well, there was this great crescendo. <laughs> I, I love mean, a good crescendo. It's one of it my favorite things. It was a great crescendo. And I, I don't think I've ever said anybody had a great crescendo, but you're just all mellow and stuff. And all of a sudden it just builds. And I went, that's when I wanted to hear the, the SoundCloud file. <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah. Headphones, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what it's like hanging out with me. It's really mellow and chill, and then all of a sudden, there's some big, uh, there's some big eruption normally of of fun and frivolity. Um, 
but anyway, I was, I was so appreciative of, of you taking the time to listen to it. And then, you know, we got to correspond a little bit and I love that. And actually uh spoiler alert, I just found out two days ago, they added that to the Texas list. Yeah. So I'm really excited um, about, I think they put it on the grade three list. Yeah. They put it on the three. I think yours is still on the two. I think they moved yours to the two. That was hard to write that piece because I wrote it for my best friend. I remember you were you were Who telling was me. Dying. Yeah. Yeah. And um she got it while she was still alive, and that was good. Yeah. But um I still think about that. So you know that you don't ever lose the associations you have with the pieces. Right. Yeah. So very much. Very much. Yeah. And I've already I've already written way too many of those pieces for people that have that have passed away or that have dealt with, you know, the tragedy and stuff like that. It's the same thing. I hear it and I still I think about them and, and stuff like that. And so um, but yeah, what a wonderful piece. So if you have a middle school band or if you have a high school band and you're looking for a really great, amazing piece, and McGinty's All the Pretty Little Horses is just gorgeous. And um, and mine's okay. Um with my, a great crescendo. Mine is okay with a great crescendo, um, which which is great. And and I will I will tell you a funny story about that. I went to a new music reading session last year, and they were doing they were doing my pretty horses. And you may not remember, there's a little percussiony mallet break kind of in the middle of it. And you know those reading bands, they don't they they're don't. looking they're just sight reading it. They're not they haven't looked at it at all. And it just, it cratered in the middle of all of that. And you could just hear everybody that was listening just kind of went, oh. <laughs> and then they were like, and the composer's here, stand up. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, there were, there were notes there during that part. I promise there were. Um, anyway, so that's, that's wonderful. I will, I will always really, um, I will always really cherish this sort of connection that, that you and I have because I have such an appreciation for your work. Um, over the years and so it was it was meant a lot to me that you took the time to um to check that out so well um let me ask you this you you've covered a lot of stuff which is which is really fantastic and wonderful and and so interesting to hear about do you um did you ever have anything you know that you really wanted to do that that just never worked out like do you have a do you have any kind of big rejection story i have no. lots of them like like no. No, uh, no. Uh, every piece I wrote except one is published. There it and is. There's the one. It's the one. There's your rejection story. That's no, the one. it isn't. It oh. was uh, <laughs> it was the army band piece, and it had full band and harp and a twenty eight voice male chorus, which you just don't find around the corner. It sounds amazing. Who wouldn't want to publish that? Publishers, get with it. Well. Oh, don't, because I'm trying to revise a finale score from 2000 or 1999. That would, that would, that would take me the rest of my life. But it, and it was a conscious thing. I have the, uh, a copy of the, a copy of the copy of the DAT recording from both performances. Yeah. And um, it was, it was personal. Mm -hmm. It was, it was just, I kind of lost the love of my life in Vietnam and this piece was for him as well. Oh, and wow. it became a personal piece. Yeah. Um, um, and I, I wouldn't want to hear most groups play it ever with or with it. Well, you need the chorus, but I wouldn't want to. 
Yeah, that leads me to a good question. And we and we will not name names. We will just uh we will just answer in the most generic way possible. Have you ever did anybody ever invite you out or to a concert or anything and you got there and you were listening to them and you're like, wow, they can't play my piece at all? Yes. <laughs> uh, didn't you learn concert face? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, 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 no. Yes. I, I, yes. I have experienced that for sure. You put on concert face where nothing, nothing yeah. shows except mild pleasure. Right. Yeah. And um, it took me a while to master it, but I would, I would make faces if, if it was really sucko. <laughs> right. <laughs> and sometimes they were, and especially at Midwest where, because I wrote so much music at the grade one, one and a half, two level, mm. it was used as the chop saver during a Midwest concert where they're doing the fours and the fives. Oh, sure. So they'd get this little piece and it would be nice, but they wouldn't add any dynamics or any, right. anything. And I was like, I'm not ever going to write a dynamic again because nobody plays it. But instead, I just learned to adapt concert face. <laughs> I would always have to fight the urge to go into band director mode and just like, hey, you know what? Let me just uh, let me just rehearse for a little bit. Uh, no, yeah, I'm, let me I'm show you how this piece. Yeah, let me show you how this piece goes. Yeah, but there's some there's some that just can't be saved. I did a a Zoom with a um, West Valley here in Phoenix area uh, band, and I had met the guy. I hope he's not listening. I had met the guy through a, a graduate course that I, 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 I do in quotes. Um, I helped the per. She does, teaches a, a lit class and has me in, and we talk about stuff like this. And I had met him there, and I thought, oh, okay, working on his masters. This is okay. And it was probably one of, if not the worst band I've ever heard. And they were going to a festival in California and he sent me a recording and I was just, oh my God. <laughs> so you're trying to do 20 minutes of Zoom with the band and keep it all at beat and you can't say one positive thing except I listened to the recording. Did you listen to my recording? Yes, I listened to your recording. Yeah. And that was, that was the most positive thing I had to say. Uh, you might want to try, you might think about, you might, and just little suggestions, but right. oh, composer face. You know, they used to, I used to do a lot of marching band judging. I don't anymore because I'm I'm too old to run around, but uh, <laughs> they used to talk to us in, in our training every year about what to do. If it's early season, it's the middle of September and, you know, everybody's just barely got uniforms on and nobody, they don't know their shows yet. And you just have a really, you just have a band with a big growth area and you don't really know what to talk about. Just start talking about how great it is that they're all band kids and that they've spent so much time working hard together and doing yep. this amazing thing with their friends and just don't talk about the show at all. Right. <laughs> I break into that, that sometimes with bands. That works all year long. That works at the at the. Yeah. I used to do Sandy Lake in Dallas. We did that for years. Oh yeah, sure. And um, but there you've got a lot of happy, upbeat attitude with the bad playing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then occasionally you get somebody that was really good, and the, some of the inner city bands were just phenomenal in their yeah. approach to band and choreography and just juicing it up it was really kind of cool 
Yeah. But yeah, but then, then, you know. Right. Well, um, let me ask you this. Um, and you'll have to think back because you're not you're not writing much anymore. But when you were when you were writing a lot, did you did you ever experience writer's block? Did you ever have trouble coming um, up with things? No, we we kept a wall chart. And really? Every year for a production wall chart. Okay. And you had to write, we were doing eight beginning bands for each and eight developing bands for each. And one, one of his is the march and one of mine is the quote unquote overture. Uh-huh. And one of mine is the, the uh, country medley or whatever kind of medley like that. Yeah. And one of John's is the frivolous funky turtle. Um, that was a throwaway piece. Just, I'm going to just write this, and it was one of our bestsellers. Yeah, because, because of the title. Uh, one of one of his worst sellers was Pyramid Power Polka. Do oh. not put polka in the title. If he called a Pyramid Power, it would have been a hit. No polkas then, huh? No polkas. No. Okay. Hold on. I'm, I'm going to write this down. <laughs> write that down. <laughs> but down. yeah, we, we had a list. And if I was feeling I don't know what to write next, I would look at the list and fill in a slot. Oh, I love that. I'm going to start doing we had, that. We had, um, well, I had a lot of commissions. So those sure. filled a lot of slots. The higher yeah. end slots were usually commissions. Mm-hmm. So no, it was just... Okay, so yeah. you, you've got no rejection stories. You didn't have, oh. you never have writer's block. Wow. Okay. Well, I do now. Ask me. You asked me during the band stuff. I never had it. Right. Um, now, but I don't know if your listeners want to even know what I'm doing the last ten. We do. Years. Okay. That's that was uh, going to be the next question. Is oh, okay. Is what's well, happening now? When I decided that I said all I had to say. And I didn't want to turn into one of those um, your pastor prime <laughs> uh, composers. And mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know if I could have or would have, but I didn't want to even try. Um, I was asked, what, okay, we recorded every year in Los Angeles using a studio studio professional studio players. Yeah. and I got to know them. Oh sure. Two thousand seven. Um, which was the year of Cocopelli. I don't know if you know that piece, but it's just wow. It's, I wrote yeah. that. I wrote Cocopelli for them because okay. they've been with us so long and played so many freaking notes over the last 12 <laughs> years, whatever. And I wanted to give something that they deserved. And sure. it's, it's hard and it's fun and whatnot. And um, and try explaining Coco Pelli and his his naughtiness to your high school students. You know that's a that's a hard word to say. So you broke your own rule. Well, no, it isn't. Coco Pelli. It's pretty simple. Maybe it's just me, but I'm I'm uh, from Texas, so we great great on a curve. Coco Pelli is a a symbol around here. Anyway, um, and after the session, and I was in love with the tuba players playing. He just. Mm. Just something in got me, and after the session, he came up and he we always he always said I love your play, love your music, and I go I love your playing. And then that year, he said, "Will you write a piece for my album?" And I went, "What kind of piece?" He said, "Whatever you want." Jazz fusion. Um. So I did, and 
Uh, the first one, I, I ended up with three pieces on that first album. Uh, the first one is called Feels Like Far, and it was for flute, clarinet, trumpet, horn, tuba. Wow. And it was like my mini band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And, and the second one was a trio. Um, what was the second one called? Um, <laughs> good am. Um, <laughs> uh, on the outside. Okay. On the outside. And it was for clarinet, horn, tuba. And the third one was called Equinox, which is for double brass quintet, left side being conical, right side being spherical. And oh my God, with that's a fancy. A tube of three horns and a cornet going up one side, coming back down with two trumpets, um, trombone or two trombones, bass trombone. No, wow. two two trumpets, yeah. Two trombones, bass trombone. It was, and we recorded it at where did we record it? Columbia. No, not Columbia. Come on, Capitol Records. Yeah. <laughs> where Frank where Frank Sinatra recorded. How cool! You're walking down this hall, and there are big black and white photographs of all the really famous people. And all of a sudden, we're in this huge, monstrous room with the most incredible sound. And we were in Studio B, which is not even the big room, although I got to see it. Mm. Um, and there we are, Capitol Records recording my piece for this album, and I'm producing. So my thing after that was Dream Big. And then we did a Christmas album. <clears throat> and then, so I published all this. I have a new company called mcgintymusic.com that's Christmas and chamber music for brass and woodwinds. And hooked up with Bill Reichenbach, who is a uh, world-renowned bass player. And he's played groups all over the world. He's recorded probably over 2,000 movies. Um, you, you pick a movie and he's most likely the bass trombonist. Um, he's written stuff. He did, he recorded stuff doing tuba and trombone. He did, he was the tuba player on The Simpsons for a long time on the intro thing. Oh, how neat. Um, read his bio. It's, his bio's old, but he is just, he's an amazing guy. And he was writing stuff and I was kind of like when I auditioned for the symphony, I just, hey, can I publish you? And I have this little one-person publishing company, almost. <laughs> and he said, sure. And since then, he's done about, I thought, 32 maybe um, Christmas quartets. for He does it for trombone. And then I take them and do the flute version, flute choir version, clarinet version, um, sax, bassoon, which is simple, and um, a high brass, three trumpet, one trombone or you for whatever. And that just keeps the company going because they're so, they're not, they're not out of the hymnal kind of hymns. They're, he's got a huge jazz background. So you got good chords, you got good timing, you got, oh yeah. You've got to listen. I got a, uh, excerpts and stuff on most of them on the website. Oh, wonderful! And he did one last year, um, Gabriel's message, that just absolutely got me at a level where I felt. 
I couldn't even say what I felt. I just, when you feel the music and you really feel. Yeah. And that's what some of his stuff does to me. So, and then I've got some other people, um, Ryan Nowlin, who is just um, going to be the new um, director, commander of the U.S. Marine Band. Very and, cool. Um, another one of the Marine Band staff arrangers. And just, there you go. Just And it's fun. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to lift. It's all digital. Down yeah, right. Road. Yeah. I'm never, ever lifting cartons of music again. I think... <laughs> I think that's why we still wish not too old to lift all that stuff. Right. We're talking tons. When we saw Queenwood, there was 20 tons of music and shelving, 20 tons wow. of music and shelving in the warehouse and 10, ton, 10 tons, an entire semi, 13 skids in my house and garage. Oh my gosh. That's and amazing. Well, it was, <laughs> uh, and it was our life, and that we loved it. Absolutely yeah. loved every aspect of it. So I couldn't give up publishing because that's where I found all this goodness. Sure. So that's what I do, and I I don't do it very often. <laughs> I haven't I haven't been writing much because I'm thinking. I'm letting it settle, and I know what. I know what my working score is and I know what the published market score is, which is yeah. different instrumentation. Right. <laughs> one satisfies me internally and one satisfies market. Um, in case you don't have happen to have a a horn, a trombone, a bass trombone, and a tuba handy. Right. You can also, could also play it for tuba quartet. So I just I just kept going with it. It's fun. That's wonderful. And you said the website is mcgintymusic.com. Yep. Yep. Well, and I didn't know that all those notes were in me. If you want a recording of Equinox, I would send it to you because that is just like, that would be the last piece I ever want to hear. Oh, wow. I, um, I would love to hear it. I, I would love to be able to hear it. I will. I will just send you whether it's movement by movement or i don't know how big uh, gmail will work this days but <laughs> i can sure. get it to you. yeah no i would love to hear it that that'd be great well that's really fantastic so um so anybody looking for for those kinds of charts they can find them on your website which is great and um and i'm going to check them out as well especially um, christmas music because christmas music is can be really awful Oh, I, I tell I, way back when I was a band director, um, I used to say, I would say to my band every year, I would say, I love one of my favorite things in the world is Christmas music. I love Christmas music. And I absolutely, with a passion, detest almost all Christmas band music. <laughs> I, yep. I probably in 20, 23 years, I probably had a, had a group of pieces that I really loved that I I would, I would, I would recycle as soon as a group of students would leave. I'd be like, Oh, great. I can play this piece again because, uh, because it's gone. They're, they're gone. Or if I would find something new, I'd be like, Oh, I can add something new to the, to the list because um, I was not going to do like, I don't know, Rudolph on parade or something like that. Like I just, John I don't know. I wasn't into John, it. John wrote a great one called, I think it was a Christmas finale. Yeah. Uh, and uh, 
right after the big blowy intro, he goes into the Pink Panther baseline with them on the house. <laughs> and not enough to incur copyright infringement, right? but just enough to settle the audience down and make them laugh. And then it, it goes a little more traditional after that. But Pink Panther and Up on the House Stop, it was just perfect. That's a good combination. I really like that. <laughs> well, um, let me ask you this. Uh, before we before we get to our last 10 questions, our secret 10 oh. questions, which okay. are not really secret after this first season, I guess, because everybody oh. knows what they are. I'll have to have new secret questions for season two of the podcast. Um, anyway, um, besides music, uh, we know you're into music. Do you have any non-music hobbies that, uh, that you're into when you're not doing music stuff? Well, I used to like puttering in the yard, but my yard's burned up now. Sure. Uh, it's, yeah. it's not grass, but even the... Um, the plants are suffering and I did, you can't go out. So I don't do that. Um, I begin to conditioning and staying as healthy and fit as I can. But that's kind of doing the in-house uh, body body weight workout stuff right now because I can't get out and right. walk or hike or anything. So um, I like to read a lot. Mm. And I read a lot of nonfiction. I read a lot of stuff about the brain and oh. uh, plasticity and how it can change. Um, and you never ever have to give anything up if you keep doing your doing what you need to do. Right. And I read a lot about the human microbiome and all the critters that live within and on. <laughs> wow, that is way more fascinating than what I read. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, I have I have daytime nonfiction and nighttime fiction. Oh, that's good. That's good because because I'm not much into television. Yeah, uh, I'll watch maybe an hour and a half or so on Netflix or Apple TV or something. Um, but I'm I'm just I'm not of that species. I don't know who could <laughs> sit there and watch that joke, but. Uh, it's not all amazing. <laughs> not all amazing. It's not all amazing. There are some there are some good things, but it's not all amazing. Okay. Well, um, it's time for it's time for ten questions. Okay. Um, as we said um, uh, before we came on, I said the, the questions are fun and frivolous, and uh, some of them are nonsensical, and most of them are are inconsequential completely. So um, so I will I will dive in. Question number one: What is your favorite food? Gosh, mm, tough. <laughs> that's that's tough. Uh, the obvious would be chocolate. The second mm. would be kefir. 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 What is kefir? I'm not uh, familiar with that. <laughs> it's uh, a liquid fermented milk. Oh wow! Okay. Um, it's kind of like liquid yogurt. It's kind of like liquid Greek yogurt. Oh. And um, it's really good for your gut and for all those critters that live in your gut i'm gonna have to try it i have to check that out kefir everybody not a not a not a sponsor of the show but 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 <laughs> k-e-f-i-r k-e-f-i-r yeah back with the uh, yogurt description okay um do you have um do you like to travel do you have a favorite place you like to vacation or visit or uh no i'm done traveling um the favorite my my favorite place that i ended up during all that times I did travel a lot, um, was Newfoundland. 
Oh, oh wow. And it was so gorgeous. And it was it was a half hour time zone from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, and it was on the water and every year icebergs would flow through. <laughs> and everywhere there were photographs of these monster icebergs and you're only seeing the tip of the iceberg, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. And, uh, it was summer and we were doing band clinics. Bruce Pearson was there too at the same time. And uh, they had uh, their own breweries, which the breweries are really good beer. Uh, and uh, there was a, I got to walk up the hill where Marconi sent the telegram, the first telegram to England. How cool. And it was, there was a, a Soviet freighter that was there because they were being held because they wouldn't pay their whatevers. And <laughs> the locals were bringing them food and stuff. And they'd been there for quite some time. And it was just, it was so far from anything I'd ever seen before. Mm. Icebergs and Russian freighters. That's a, that is a strange combination. And, and bands. And I did another one in, in Halifax, which is also beautiful. But that was one of my big memories. Hmm. But no, I'm done. I, I just I don't like noise. I don't like crowds. Um, that eliminates airport, airplane, hotel. Yeah, <laughs> convention. That takes a lot. Yeah, that takes yeah. a lot of things out. Yeah. Um, that's great. Do you have a Do you have a favorite color? Red. Red. I love it. Red. Um, this was a question I asked. Uh, after my last interview, right, a question I added after my last interview, um, uh, what, and you can edit because family show. But uh, what's the uh, what's the last thing you Googled? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The last the, the last Wait, interview, the Google was during the interview, so it was easy to remember. Um, Nine TV shows you might have missed. Oh, okay. And there was a reason I missed them. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, okay, the next question is a very, uh, it's a very touchy question. It's gotten a lot of, I get a lot of different responses from it. So, um, so you want to think about your, 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 the way that you want to answer. If we had a boxing match between Frank Tichelli and John Mackey, who do you think would win? Oh, gosh. Frank. Frank. Okay. Because I just read, um, I'm reading in a book about preparation, having strategy and having tactics. And they talked a long time about, they wrote, he wrote a lot about the Tyson, um, uh, George Foreman fight. Mm -hmm. Not Tyson. Yeah. Uh, no, the uh, Muhammad Ali, Ty, uh, George Foreman. I think. Okay. Okay. Whatever. It's a boxing match, and how, <laughs> um, George Foreman was the young one, and the one that, whose name I'm screwing up was the old one. But the old one had all this experience, and his goal was to get George Foreman to overexert, punch his little heart out too oh, soon, yeah. sure. and then last long enough to give him the knockout blow and he did and he was not favored and that's I, frank has all that many 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 years of ex not that he's that old but experience and tactics and um 
and teaching tactics. You learn stuff teaching that you don't learn writing or playing and mm. stuff. That's a good point. Um, so I would just do it. He's got strategy and tactics. I love that. That's a that's a very well reasoned answer. Well, that's, it's not mine. It's from that book I'm reading. <laughs> oh well, you know the best ideas are mostly stolen. I'm so I, yes. I'm okay with that. Um, all right. When you when you go to bed, socks on or socks off? Wife socks off. Oh, no socks at all. Zero I, socks. I, no, um, I live got to be free. I live in Arizona, um, and I walk on. I wear shoes that are um, zero rise, which means it's the sole of the shoe with no insoles or uh, arch supports or anything. It's my foot on some piece of somebody's manufactured whatever shoe sole, um, and so I feel the ground and the rocks and all that stuff under my feet. And I don't wear socks with those either. Wonderful. Plus, it's hot. <laughs> That's maybe the best answer I've gotten to that question, which is kind of a silly question. Um, if you hadn't been a composer or a music person, um, because obviously you were a very accomplished flute player as well. I was. If you, ha if you hadn't been a, a musician or a composer, what what's something else that you think you might have done as a career? I should give you the answer that will blow your mind because... It's just not ever wouldn't wouldn't have ever happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would have been an assassin. I love it. I um, love it. I I grew up all day in my twenties somewhere. I was reading all of these uh, oh Tom Clancy kind of things. And oh, I love were, those. Yeah, I read all of those. A whole, a whole bunch of those spy things and the uh, um, uh, the English guy, I was a big fan of his. I can't think of his name at all. Um, and there was almost always an assassin who watched and waited and plotted and planned. And it wasn't just the markmanship. And then I realized I couldn't be an assassin or a spy because I have a weakness for cats. <laughs> and they could, they could like pretend to torture a cat or my cat or whatever cat. And they would, I would just crumble. So couldn't. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. That whole thing, that could be a country song. That whole oh, story. I never did anything with it. And I rarely tell it because it just sounds so, if you weren't a composer, you'd be an assassin. It's not too late. <laughs> well, it is because my vision's not that great. You have to, you know. Well, you just, you just only take, take like group jobs where you just like, <laughs> you could, you know, multiple target situation. Um, I would house traveling and all that. I'm just um, you would have to travel and be around people, so maybe that would be the <laughs> kryptonite that would, that would that would kill the deal. But um, no pun well, intended. That's the problem with our life is that we spend so much time in a practice room or in a studio, and we're alone with our thoughts and our notes and our this and that. And then we go out and do a concert or a clinic or a convention, and it's like. Oh, extremes. And then all of a sudden we're back in our little office and nobody says a word. So um, it's, it's a lonely a, life. It's a strange life. <laughs> <laughs> it's a strange life. You, you know, and, and and my wife is not a music person at all. So which which sometimes I really love because I could play things for her. And she comes in and she goes, oh, that's lovely. <laughs> she, she won't come in and say, wow, what was that stupid clarinet part that you wrote? <laughs> And then sometimes I sometimes it frustrates me because she doesn't understand why I need eight hours today to just be in my 
in my office, yes. you know, uninterrupted, yes. not doing anything. <laughs> well, I can't go work in the flower bed, which I don't want to do anyway. Um, <laughs> so, um, well, Anne McGinty, this has been so much fun. Um, I've had a really great time talking with you. I hope the people listening have a great time. If they don't, it's pretty inconsequential to me if they do or not. So <laughs> this is really just about our, our entertainment. So I, I feel like we've at least accomplished that. And so uh, uh, how can, uh, are you uh, are you active on the socials? Yes. Uh, how, can, how can people find you then on the socials? Oh, my name, Facebook, uh, McGinty News, Twitter. I don't post, I read. Oh, okay. So you're just a, you're I, just a consumer. I answer. I read and I answer. Okay. Um, if someone writes or, I hate messenger, so please find another way to do that. <laughs> um, why should I have to, you know, go to something else to look at a Facebook message? Forget it. Oh, um, yeah, well, I get it. And Take note, um, Mark Zuckerberg. I joined Threads, but I'm keeping that um, on a f for basically only constitutional lawyers uh. <laughs> because um, I don't ever want to post on that. But brilliant when they explain stuff that's going on in the country from a constitutional lawyer viewpoint. Oh, that's and interesting. So I everything's blocked. It's a private. You can't you can't find me probably. I um, I joined the threads too. I'm 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 checking it out. I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to stick with it. Well, I didn't need another Facebook. No, and I didn't need another music thing. My Facebook thing is I don't know four thousand people, and I know probably fifty of them, maybe a hundred. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. and I've. And I've met probably a thousand or more of these people, but um, scrolling is just, if they, if somebody asks me something, I reply. Yeah. Or if somebody tags me, I will check it out. But um, yeah. All I right. So don't that. find, uh, don't find Ann McGinty on the threads unless no. you're a constitutional lawyer and then she's going <laughs> to find you, um, which will be great. Um if uh, if you stop seeing posts from her, you know she's gone into assassin mode. <laughs> um, so we'll all we'll all be real, real careful. Get somebody else to start your car and things like that. If you've ever but wronged Anne McGinty, she doesn't travel. <laughs> it has to be within a hundred mile radius <laughs> of where she's living. <laughs> Otherwise, you're safe. <laughs> That's great. I'm outside the boundary then. So. Um, well, it's been great fun. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking this time with me. It's, it's so wonderful to connect and talk. Um, you know, we will, the band world will always forever be in your debt for everything that you've given so many people, performers and directors and, and everybody else. So, um, I'm so appreciative of, of all of that as a band director, a former, I say I'm a recovering band director, a former band director. And as a composer, I'm so, uh, I'm so appreciative of, of all of that. And, um, and what a great, what a great legacy you know, for, for everybody to be able to enjoy with you. So composer chats brought to you by SCM media is your audience dead. Bring it back to life. And thanks to my guests this week. And thank you for listening. Don't forget to watch for next week's episode with the next composer on my list. And you can find my other podcast beyond the belt adventures from the outer rim, a sci-fi drama, anywhere that podcasts are streamed, listen free seasons one through three are out now. You can find me on Instagram at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on threads at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on the Facebooks if you're old like me, Jason K. Niche. 
You can find me on the web at jasonnitch.com or at beyondthebeltpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.